Welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock. Today we'll be joined by Tony Ruggiero, a.k.a. Dew Sweeper Golf, a.k.a. Smiley Kaufman's coach. Ruggiero is the director of instruction at the Country Club of Mobile down in Alabama. He's worked with Tom Kite. He's worked with Boo Weekly. All of this is to mean that if he's talking golf instruction, you should definitely pay attention because you'll probably learn something. Ruggiero was recently named to the top 100 teachers in America list by Golf Magazine, and if you ask me, he's plenty deserving. So today we're going to rack his brain about what it takes to teach at every level of the game and what amateurs might be able to learn from pros, what pros might be able to learn from amateurs. So Tony, welcome to the podcast. I'll start with a question that hits very close to home for you. Who wins on Monday, Alabama or Clemson? Well, you know what, I, I teach folks on both sides of that. Uh, but uh, I'm actually an Auburn fan from down in Alabama, so I'm going to pull for Clemson. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to predict a Clemson upset. Okay, okay, I like it. That'll be a good game. I mean... I think it's going to be a great game. I really do. I think it's going to be way closer than people think. You know, I think Clemson's got uh, you know, Clemson's got speed that can match up with them, and I think Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, has got the ability to run and throw, and I think the, the quarterbacks, they're the teams that have given Alabama trouble all year, or really the last several years, have been teams that are able to throw it and, you know, play a vertical game. I think Clemson's going to be able to do that. So I think it's going to be a good football game. Yeah, guys that can sling it around are, are mm-hmm. almost the uh, the kryptonite to Alabama being Superman right now. Is it tough being yeah, a, I mean, an Auburn fan uh, to, in Mobile and d- uh, director of instruction in Alabama? Now, you know what, there's, there's fans on both sides. I mean, you know what, I teach a young guy that plays at Auburn. I've taught a bunch of guys that play at Alabama. So those guys give me, you know, they give me a bunch of grief all year and call me names. And I mean, it's all pretty lighthearted and fun stuff. And obviously, Smiley went to LSU. So I've, you know, uh, been to games at all of those places, hanging out with the guys. I think, you know, one thing that we do that's pretty interesting is we're all pretty good friends. And in fact, we're all hanging out down together in South Florida this week, getting ready for the new season. So, you know, everybody pulls for, for their own team. And, you know, I think that's kind of, you know, football is in sports, you know, when you're in the business we are, it's it's something that most everybody has in common and pulls for their team. And we like to give each other a little, you know, some ribbing about it. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, one of my favorite parts, uh, or at least topic in conversation with PGA Tour players is college football. You know, they, mm-hmm. they pay attention to it. Their season on the PGA Tour will generally end just as college football is getting underway. So they have, they got a lot of Saturdays off generally to watch college football. And the rivalries from the SEC and the ACC, they, they don't stop when they get, these guys graduate. They continue through their PGA Tour careers. No, they really, you know, these guys are really passionate about their sports. I mean, that's one thing I've learned, you know, and, and – uh, Again, I think it's because they have some time off, but they really get invested in following their teams. You know, I actually grew up a Notre Dame fan, which we hadn't had much to talk about this year. But, you know, all of these guys, uh, you know, they're real into that. And, it's you know, it's a fun thing. I mean, they like to go to the games on some of their off weeks, you know, and as they get more prominent and they get the ability to have some more access to going on the field and stuff like that, it's pretty fun to go to, go to games with them. Yeah, definitely. Now, you mentioned Smiley. Uh, that's Smiley Kaufman. And I think – I think he's probably the highest-ranked golfer that you coach right now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, world ranking-wise, for sure. Uh, you know, him and Lucas Glover would be, the you know, I think the two highest-ranked on tour. I've got Zach Sucre on tour as well, who just got his tour card back, and we got off to a slow start in the fall. But, uh, yeah, Smiley and Lucas, but Smiley for sure had such a great year last year, and, 
and uh, you know did some did some amazing things for a rookie, and it was fun to be part of. Yeah, one of those things, obviously, being playing in the final group on Sunday at Augusta National in the Masters. Going into that week, you, you probably couldn't have predicted that, right? No, you know, I don't think you ever predict that, especially for a first-time person. Um, you, you know, you don't. Uh, you know, I knew he was playing well going in there. I knew he had has done as well a job prepping for a tournament for that week as maybe anything uh, I'd been part of before. He'd gone over there and played a couple times. I went with him the week before and walked along, and so he had great prep. You know, he was driving the ball great. He's a, you know, uh, when he drives the ball good, he's he's incredibly long, and he has a great, you know, he has great wedge play, chipping and putting, which is, you know, so if you drive it and wedge it, chip it and put it, it's a good recipe for Augusta. So it wouldn't have surprised me that he made the cut or played well. I mean, you know, but your first time dealing with all that, rookie on the PGA Tour, first time at Augusta, I mean, to get into the last group on Sunday was was obviously something I don't think that uh, you go in there and you predict or say you're you're expecting to happen. Yeah, and I actually, oddly enough, followed Smiley around a little bit that week. He was, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because my memory could be a little hazy, but I believe he played with Russell Knox and Danny mm-hmm. Lee. Is that right? Yep. That's correct. So it, it was fun. I mean, that's a that's a ball striking trio right there. And uh, one thing that you can get really caught up in at the Masters, you know, you don't have cell phones out there, so you can't really track <laughs> who's doing great on the other side of the course. If you want to go and watch Spieth and Jason Day, and you can get caught up in the crowds. But I really liked going after these tinier groups. And that group, actually, Danny Lee was playing great. Smiley obviously ended up playing great. Do you get nervous as a coach watching one of your players actually start to contend? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you you know, we probably get nervous in some respects more than than we do, you know, if we're playing ourselves, you know. You know, I mean, because you don't have any control over anything. Uh, you know, so obviously you're nervous. I mean, you know, you're pulling for your guy. It was, I mean, shoot, it, last year was a lot of firsts for me as a coach. You know, so it was my first trip to Augusta as a as a coach or a teacher, and so yeah, obviously there were you know, um, you know there were some butterflies. I mean, but to be honest, you know, on the practice tee with Smiley, uh, especially during the tournament rounds, and and in particular Saturday and Sunday, I felt like it was actually as uh, it, it was as calm as I've ever been on a tee, and I felt like it was as calm and good a work as we've ever had on a tee before a round. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously we didn't really do much. I mean, you know, you're letting them warm up and you're just answering questions and you're, you're there to reassure them and, you know, just be there for confidence and stuff. So, you know, there was a real nice calm about, you know, the, the warm up sessions and the work before that week. And during the, during the tournament rounds, really that I, you know, it seemed to get better and better each day. So, uh, you know, I was obviously nervous during the last round watching. I mean, it's, it's human nature. Um, I think any coach would tell you that anybody that's out there, that's had a player in the mix, you're pulling for you're you're pulling hard for your guys. Cause you know how much work they've put into it, how much work you've put into it with them. And, uh, you know, and obviously it was a huge opportunity. I'm sure you could probably get in the way at some point. You know, there's got to be coaches that do a little bit too much in that moment. Is that true that you could almost, you almost kind of want to back up and not get in his way? There's a need sometimes with coaches to feel like if you're not saying something, you're not doing your job, you know, and you're trying to earn your money. And, you know, I think if you ask my players, they would all say, you know, I'd, 
I, I'm pretty sure I don't do that. I'm, I'm a minimalist, if anything. You know, I, I try to stay in the background once they get ready to go play. And, and uh, you know, I'm there for them as a support and, and, you know, there to help keep things in perspective and structured and know what we need to do and, you know, and keep their mind on, on the task at hand. But, you know, I think as a, as a coach and a teacher of, of people that compete, you know, I think that it's a, a huge mistake. I mean, I see teachers out there that, you know, 30 minutes or 20 minutes before a guy's going to tee it up at a tour event that are putting their hands on a guy and oh, moving geez. him around and trying to show him emotion. And I mean, you know, uh, heck, if they hadn't figured it out by then, we're probably going to be going home after Friday. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of my approach. I think once you get them to the, once you get them to where the gun goes off on, on Thursday, I mean, heck, it's their deal. They're the ones that hit the shots. I mean, you know, we're there to kind of advise and be a sounding board. Uh, one last question about that Masters. Obviously, you alluded to it a little bit. Sunday, it, it starts to unravel, if that's an appropriate term. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it is. But you, you have caddied for Smiley here and there. Is that, isn't that right? Yeah, I did. I caddied for him in Japan this year in the Dunlop Phoenix, you know, in this fall, went over there. And, and uh, so I have. And, you know, and I, uh, you know, one of the great teachers in our game, Bill Harmon, who I've actually had on my radio show and gotten to – know a little bit i mean bill told me that he thought one of the great things that every coach and teacher ought to do is caddy for their player because you really get an insight into what goes on with them and you know i mean you know i I, I, you know unraveling is probably fair i mean look it's it's a first experience and you know and i said to him and i said to somebody after this that you know i think the experience of being in the lead group and, and dealing with all of the things and that you have to deal with on Sunday at Augusta with it late in the afternoon. I mean, everything is different than what you normally do. I mean, you sit around most of the day before you go to the golf course and go play. I mean, that's not how we normally do things. Uh, you know, you've got all the media and everything going on. Uh, it's just it takes you out of your comfort zone and out of what's normal. And, and so you have to learn to do that. And I think the only way that you learn to do that is by doing it. And uh, – you know, I had a lot of texts and calls Saturday night before Sunday and, you know, some, some great teachers and, you know, saying that the only, there's nothing going to prepare you, you know, for three o'clock, you know, three o'clock on Sunday at Augusta other than having done it. I think that, you know, I think they're right. And so I think that you get more out of having gone through that experience than if, you know, you played six groups back and played a good round and backdoored into 15 or 12th or whatever i mean obviously that do something for you getting in this year but for the long-term learning curve for becoming one of the best players in the world i think you have to you know go ahead and submerge yourself into that and have a little baptism by fire and 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 learn what it feels like yeah to be in the moment and actually see it regardless Mm -hmm. of the outcome so then afterward um i want to get the coach's perspective smiley he played three really really good rounds and then Mm -hmm. one and then one round that was a lot it was just poor I guess and his I'm sure he'd grade it as poor is that something that you guys address quickly do you look at that round because I know that in your in the other sports in basketball if you play a fourth quarter and your team you know just isn't running the offense the way that you want them to or not playing defense you want them to you go back and you look at film and that's that's a different sport do you guys think about bad rounds do you address them or do you just kind of eliminate them from the mind well, i mean you have to look at it both ways i mean you know from a you know from you know i was there for the round i mean for you know maybe 14 15 holes of the round 
he hit the ball extremely well, other than a shot or two, but everybody get a bad shot or two there. But I mean, you know, he, he just, you know, he didn't putt well, uh, hit one or two bad shots, probably made one or two, you know, you know, not great decisions and, you know, let things probably more get away from him than he needed to. But I think, again, it goes back to what we just talked about is that, you know, I mean, you have to learn what that feels like, what your body feels like, you know, how you slow things down. You have to learn all of that. And and I think you do that by going through it. And so, um, you know, from that perspective, I mean, from a golf swing, what, you know, what did you do? I mean, I don't think there was much to address. You know, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the round, all I did was just hug him and tell him I love him. I mean, he's, you know, one of my closest buddies and we've been through a lot. And, you know, I mean, look, I mean, everybody there after that round was over was was disappointed. And but you, you still have to look at that week as a huge positive and a huge opportunity going forward. And I think as long as you keep that in perspective, you can't let the you can't let you know, the expectations change, for, you know, just because you get the opportunity at the end. I mean, you know, all of, there were so many positives that week. I think you got to keep that in perspective. Yeah, that's a good thought, you know, to, to reverse, do not let yourself compartmentalize and change your expectations. Bring yourself back to what you were thinking on Tuesday, maybe what you were thinking on Wednesday. That's a good thought. Right. Now, one thing I, I want to talk through with you is kind of how you work with pros and, and what amateurs can learn from it. Because one of the things that I really have a hard time understanding in the golf world is the things that pros do differently that amateurs just can't do or the things that amateurs tend to do that pros will stay away from. You know, these things that separate the best players from people that are trying to become the, a better player. I think, you know, I think the biggest thing that successful tour players do that amateurs don't do is they don't have a plan. Amateurs don't have a plan. And I, and I think tour players are really good at understanding what it is they need to do to play great golf. And every tour player is different. I mean, every tour player knows their recipe for how they hit their good shots, what it is they do to hit their good shots. And, and I think that amateur golfers spend too much time asking, what did I do that hit the bad one? You know, what did I do that hit this slice? Or what did I do that did this? Instead of really spending time to have a plan to understand what they do to hit their good shots or play good. You know, I mean, everybody, golf's a really hard game, and it it can be frustrating and difficult at times, most of the time. And, you know, I think tour players have a better understanding of what it is they need to do to hit good shots. And, you know, they're more committed to sticking to that plan to help them be successful. I think amateur golfers, club-level golfers, especially – you know, your 10 to 20 handicappers, which are probably or higher, which are most of the people probably listening to you and I talk. I mean, I think that I don't think they have a real good understanding of what they need to do to play better. And, and I think that when they hit some bad shots, they easily get off of the track of whatever it is they're working on. And they just assume that because they've hit a couple bad shots that they need to try something else. And I think as long as you go through your golf life searching from shot to shot to find something, you're – you're never going to get very far down the path towards getting better. Is there a, I mean, I don't think there is, but is there a typical plan then? Because PGA Tour players are, they are so good that I imagine that they can work on one thing at a time really well. And I don't know if amateurs are as good at, at, at putting, putting the pieces together that a PGA Tour player might be able to do. 
So, so no, when, I, when you set out with an with a, an amateur or a, a collegian or someone who's a good high school player, and and you want to set up this plan, where do you start? Well, I mean, you know, I start with every player, whether it's a member at the club in Mobile or in Panama City where I teach, or it's a junior golfer or a college golfer or a tour player with, you know, with setup fundamentals. And, you know, one, it's like, okay, so, you know, what shot are, you know, what, you know, what is it that you don't like about the shot you're hitting? I mean, or what is it that's keeping you from achieving it, you know, and finding out what they want. And then from there, I, you know, I start every person with setup. I mean, make sure that they're set up from grip, posture, ball position, alignment, all of that stuff matches what they're trying to do, you know, and I think a lot of golfers don't have awful motions, but I don't think they're set up in any way, shape, or form to hit the type of shot that they're trying to hit, you know, so I think you got to start with setup and get them good foundation, get them set up to hit the shot that they're trying to do, and I think they need to understand, like, hey, why, why do I set my hips this way, or why do I put the ball here, you know, these types of things, and, you know, I don't know that we do a good enough job as teachers helping. I think we tell them stuff. Sometimes we're telling them stuff and we're sounding smart, but ever really explaining the cause and effect of like, hey, this is this is why I want you to do this because when we do this, this is what the effect it has on the golf ball, or you know, versus what what your golf ball's been doing. I think if we took more time and didn't gloss over things, but explained why why we're doing things, I think people would be more apt to stick with it. Well, I, from the amateur perspective, I 100% agree. And to be working in golf media and work with golf instruction <laughs> a lot, I I come across a number of guys. Chris Como is kind of the the guy that I point to, and mm-hmm. he obviously is he breaks down the golf swing in a different way than a lot of people will. And right. he has a, he has a background that probably leads him to to really break it down that way. But it fascinates me more than maybe the more time-honored and traditional coaches that are more based off of feel. And does that make sense to you, that, like, the way that Chris breaks it down or, or someone like Chris, it's kind of what you said, though. It's like telling the the golfer exactly what's happening and, and telling them what's be, what's happening because of a move that they just did. This is hard to kind of, uh, to kind of explain through a podcast, I think, but – to understand everything right. that's happening because of what you're doing? I think you're exactly right in the fact that, well, Chris is one of my good friends. I mean, we travel a lot. We see each other a lot on the tour out there and had dinner a good bit. And, and you know, I, you know, one thing I I don't know that it's unique or different or what, but I I have a handful of teachers that I really trust and, and value their opinion. And I always like to share videos or information of my players with them because I'm always scared I'm on the wrong track. <laughs> you know, I never want to be the guy responsible for screwing up somebody that's really good. And, um, you know, so Chris is one of those people that I share stuff with all the time. And you're exactly right. His knack is to take, you know, is really to break down every, to me, break down every single nuance and movement in the golf swing and kind of tell you what's going on. Um, you know, I'd be the first guy to tell you that's not my, my specialty. Um, you know, I think my specialty is to take, the complex information, which it's very complicated, and to maybe simplify it and communicate it in a simple way that a player can do it and play. And so, but but like you said, I mean, 
everybody's different. And, and, and whether you're taking Chris's approach, which is really detailed, or you take in my approach and using analogies or different things, I mean, we've got to help the player understand what they're doing. I mean, just to stand out there and tell them, you know, you're over the top, you need to swing more into out. I mean, uh, I mean, doesn't fix people, you know, doesn't make them play better. We got to help them understand, well, well, the reason you're over the top is because your club face is open. We got to fix the club face, and this is why, you know, and explain it. I think when you do that, I think the person's much more is going to buy into taking the time to fix it. Whereas if you don't explain it and they try it for 30 minutes and they only hit one good shot, they're going to be like, hell, I mean, that ain't going to work. I'll just find something else. Mm-hmm. I, I always have a good time talking to, to golf coaches and golf teachers because I'm learning as, you know, just as much as they mm-hmm. are. They try to learn from the players. Uh, as much as the players trying to learn from them, one thing that that I am interested in is, as a coach, do you teach a player to, uh, in in any certain way, so that they can work without you, so that you can be absent and Smiley can can work on his game alone, or Bobby Wyatt can work, Tommy Lovelady, they can work alone without you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're always. You know, yeah, I, I for sure do. I mean, I, I, I don't want my guys to be dependent on me. And, I, you know, I last year was a great learning curve for me out there on tour with Smiley. And, you know, Robbie Shelton got some starts. And Zach was, you know, got some events in the fall. And Lucas and so forth. But, you, you know, you learn that it's easy to fall into that crutch where they want you there every week. You know, I think it's better – to see them every three weeks or four weeks and, and then let them go. They, uh, you know, there's still a part of this game where you got to figure it out a little yourself and dig it out. And I think that, uh, uh, so yeah, I tried to leave all of my players with whether it's drill. I'm not like a huge, super big drill guy, but I like to give them thoughts or things that they can do to recreate what it feels like or to simulate what we're trying to do that they can go do on their own and, and I like them to be able to look at, at their own video and go to the frame or two that we're looking at and say you know this is you know this is looking better or it's looking worse I need to do more of this or less of this whatever it is and I think that to develop as players and to compete they have to learn to be able to do that you know I th- you know one thing I think that isn't good is that there's there's folks that go to every tour event and or most every tour event. And I, I don't know that that makes them better players. I mean, I don't know that that makes them better golfers. I mean, um, you know, it probably makes us feel like we're doing more of a job and we're earning our money. But, you know, I don't know that that really is making them for the long term uh, better players and, and better, you know, better golfers. Yeah, I'm sure it can create a level of dependency, as you said, that is healthy at times, but maybe a little unhealthy at others. Uh, well, mm-hmm. There's another thing uh, that I I just kind of because it's timely want to talk about. Uh, the other day, Jason Day talked about his pre-shot routine and how he has no intention of slowing down. Do you teach pre-shot routine or do you do anything with routine to help a player reach a comfort level before making a shot? Yeah, I, I you know deal with it. You know every every player is different. I mean, I think there really needs to be a process that helps you get into the shot. And, 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 you know, it depends. Every player's different. I mean, if you watch Smiley Kaufman in his routine, you'll see that he does a grip check every time where he, you know, he puts the club in his left hand and he flattens the left hand out 
to see where the face is pointing to make sure he's got his grip in there. That's something that you know that we did way back. You know when we first started working together over three years ago. Um, you'll you'll see that in his routine because I think that's important. You know his grip where the club faces is important to him, and then the rest of it, you know, is is you know is is his routine. It's what he needs. So, you know, we've put things in the routine that help him for his golf swing. You know, and I think I'm part of that. And, you know, with Lucas Glover, I mean, aim has been a big part of the deal. And, and learning to step into the ball the way that you step in and you get your feet set and they're aimed correctly and not shuffling them, it's something that we've made him aware of and worked on in his routine. You know, those are the type of things that I do. Now, like as far as scripting out the person's whole routine, you know, I mean, I think that every routine is it's just like your fingerprints or your personality. They're different. I mean, you know, I don't teach Keegan Bradley, but I mean, you wouldn't teach Keegan Bradley his routine. You know, it's yeah. got a lot of nervous energy in it, you know, but that's him. Um, or Jason Duffner's, you know, waggles, you know, those types of things. But you, I insert things into the routine to help them with their golf swing or monitor things or do to help them set up better. So, you know, I mean, and I'm a huge routine guy and I think it's really important. I mean, I spend a lot of time with my junior golfers, uh, just helping them understand how important the setup and the precision and being careful with the things they can't control is. Now, what about making a player faster or, Mm -hmm. or I don't even know if it just comes down to routine, but slow play is an issue that, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's perpetual really. And it's inevitable until it's fixed. And, uh, you know, players on tour, will tend to say the only way you're going to fix it is if you dock players' strokes, if you if you give them penalty strokes. But is there is there room for coaches to help players improve that way? Is it overstepping your bounds to try and ask a player to play quicker or do things to get them to play quicker? Well, I mean, I don't have any players off the top of my head that are slow players. But, you know, I think that, I think that you know, you, you earlier in this – interview we touched on like you know can we over coach them and all. i mean i think making things giving them too much information and having you know over coaching them where they're overly technical i mean make to me slows people down you know uh if they're trying to be too perfect with things and you know so that's why like i don't script out exactly what you need to do in your you know in your routine i mean if you touch on the things that we want you to i mean i'm, I'm pretty happy um you know i, I think most slow play though just I think it you know that they they take so much time you know when it's their turn I mean when to me a lot of the stuff could be done while other people are playing mm-hmm. and I don't see a lot of that. I think if more players took you know if they did more I mean this is PGA Tour amateur golf folks at the club if they did more to prepare for the shot while other people are playing I mean to me I see a lot of folks at all levels but the tour I mean where it's it's like they're not really doing the stuff they need to do until it's almost their time to hit. And then, you know, then they're still looking from four different angles on the putt. Or they're, you know, they're, they're walking up to the green, all the different things that go on. I mean, whereas I think a lot of it could be sped up if, if you did more prep and you did more of the stuff, you know, while other people are playing. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, let's talk about your radio show really quick. It's on okay. Sirius XM, uh, PGA Tour Radio. On the weekends, and you've been doing it for about a decade now, what exactly are you guys talking about on the show every weekend? 
you know, it's, it's, it's just giving people access to the best teachers in the world. We use all golf magazine, top hundred teachers for the most part. And, um, you know, it's been great for me as a teacher because for every, every week for an hour, I sit and talk to the best teachers in the game about just how to help the average golfer, whether, you know, we bring on mental coaches, the best teachers, we, you know, every now and then we'll bring a player on, we bring equipment experts and different things, but it's designed to give, you know, anybody out there that's struggling with their game to be able to tune on once a week and hear, you know, from just a group of different teachers, you know, I think, you know, there's lots of us that have radio shows, lots of teachers, but, you know, we only hear one point of view, you know, we may hear Hank's point of view, or we may hear Claude Harmon's point of view or whatever, but I think being able to, you know, when I host the show, you don't hear a whole lot of my instruction, you know, you hear the guests. And I think it's really important to give all these great teachers, you know, a voice to be able to get their information out there because if it helped, you know, I mean, some of the stuff may not help one guy one day, but the next segment, that teacher, what he's talking about, you know, may spark something for a, for an individual and help them play better. So to me, it's just about trying to get as many great teachers on the air as we can to, to help the average golfer out there and to give them access. Cause there's lots of folks that live in areas that are, you know, there's no, there's nobody that's a great teacher, or maybe financially they can't go take, ask questions or take lessons or whatever. But they love the game, and you know, this is an opportunity to bring, you know, the great teachers and give them a voice and let people have access. That's plenty of reason for any amateur out there to tune in. Thank you, Tony, for breaking it all down for us today. You can find that radio show on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio on the weekends. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Golf.com podcast. If you like what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes. You can also let me know your thoughts on Twitter at Sean underscore Zach. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zach.